Heard this recently. Empty seats are a big deal in the church. Empty seats are a big deal because they represent people that are not here. They may represent your neighbor. They may represent a family member. They may represent your enemy. (laughs) But empty seats are a big deal. Thank you for working with us. <laughs> and I appreciate Vince reading from Romans 12:4 of being one body. Ephesians 4, I continue in that chapter as we have talked about. I don't even know how long we will be here. We will see in Ephesians 4. But therefore, if you want to go to that, turn in your Bible or to whatever device you have or should be on the screen behind me. Therefore... I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Because of what? Because they were right? No, because of your love. So make sure you you, you remember that. You don't make the allowance because of what they have not done. You make the allowance because of who you've become in Him. Changes everything. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, He has given each of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. We're going to skip to verse 16. He makes, the, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. There that word, word is again. I think it's at the end of Romans, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul writes, Right before he, we would transition into verse 13, he didn't have, I mean, chapter 13, he didn't have a chapter 13. But he said, let me speak to you about a most excellent way. Let me speak to you about a most excellent way. Then you get 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. A most excellent way. I like that. One body. And what Paul is saying is there's one body of believers. We would look around town. If you were driving around town, you'd think there was a bunch of body of believers, and I get that too. But we're one body, and we're in different locations. All people throughout time and around the world who are truly Christians are a part of that body. There are people around the world at this same time that were doing the same thing. And I know that we all know that, but boy, if you ever got a picture of that and really could grasp that, It's pretty amazing. And since God himself is a unity of persons, if you will, the triune God, there are different but equal parts, if you will. But as a church, we gather as different parts. I think one of the greatest pictures that Paul, once he comes back to many times, we see it in Romans, we see it in Corinthians, I'm about to read, we see it in Ephesians and other places is Paul likes to use the body as a picture to describe the church. 
1 Corinthians 12, if you, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bible, otherwise it should be on the screen. But I'm going to read today 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, as we launch into this one body, one spirit, one hope. And I'm going to read out of the message, so you may not have that, so it may be easier for you to read it on the screen. That's the reason why I have it there, because if you don't have the message or have it in front of you, it may be a little difficult to follow, not because it's not what it's saying. It's just sometimes written in a paraphrase. It is written in a paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. It may be easier. So here we go. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works out looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs. This is Paul writing, just so you know. Those who may not know, Apostle Paul. Limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all say goodbye to our, par- our partial and piecemeal lives. We each, eat, we each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If a foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all hear, how could it smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. As Romans 12, 3, Paul says, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. That would also include there, and I'm just going to jump on, that means no long rangers. We're to be a part of a body. It doesn't have to be here. But God calls us there. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body but a monster. What we have is, in, is one body with many parts. It's each proper size and it's each in its proper place. No part is more important on its own. Can you imagine an eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you? Or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor honor just as it is without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Just a shout-out to our prayer warriors. 
Just a shout out to our people who have the gift of helps. And I know there's a lot of things in between. I'm just saying. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. In, in the healing. Not in, in the healing. We have been given the ministry of what? The ministry of reconciliation. Bringing people back to God and bringing people back to each other. Here's the other one, though. If one part flourishes, every part enters into the exuberance. CCV is blowing the doors out. You know who should be happy for one? Us. And we could name others around here. Part of the same body. We should be ecstatic that people are coming into the kingdom and being baptized and their lives being transformed, families being put back together. It doesn't have to be here. But I'm so glad you're here. There are not enough churches built in America to fit all the people who need Jesus. We need to build more if that's really what our intent is. I think if you took the seating in America, and I'm off my notes here. If you took this, and I'm making this up on the spot, so don't hold me to it. Okay. Of all the people that need Jesus and all the families that need to be transformed, we don't have enough churches right now. But here's my problem. I'm going to say this again off my notes. My problem isn't that so many local churches are dying around America. My problem is, and my, what breaks my heart is, is they forgot why they existed in the first place. That's what breaks my heart. And when you get back to why you existed in the first place and you throw yourself into it, things change. Verse 27, you are Christ's body, that's who you exclamation point. That's who you are. You must never forget this. I love that. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. That's why empty seats partly are a big deal. I love in verse 13. He says, the old labels we once used to identify ourselves like, like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. What I love is, and many of you have heard me preach on this before, but I love in Acts chapter 2, and you can look that up later on the day of Pentecost, Peter doesn't, and you can read all the miracles that are happening from languages to all kinds of different things, from the fire to the wind and all that. But the first main point that Peter makes in Acts chapter 2 when he's talking about this is, is, is not the wind and the fire and the languages, but rather that the fact that the Spirit was poured out on all flesh. The Spirit was poured out on all flesh. No longer just rabbis, no longer just but sons and daughters. No longer would it just be the, the apostles 
But this outpouring the Spirit older and younger. Wealthy and poor. Slaves and free. Men and women have the opportunity to know the fullness of the Spirit. No caste system here. The Christian church was the first institution in history to bring together on equal footing Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. You should be, in the right way, proud to be a part of that. But it is this incredibly diverse collection of people. And without certain, without one member, it's not complete. Not just a pile of eyes. If one church just has a pile of eyes, whatever that is, and your gift mix, and we'll talk more about that in a few weeks uh, in, in this same chapter. But if everybody was eyes, we'd have an issue, wouldn't we? I mean, if we're talking, talking about the body, if everybody was ears, if everybody was feet, everybody was good digestive system, if everybody, it couldn't function the way that it was designed to function. I love verse 16, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 in Ephesians that I read earlier. The reason I pulled it out. But it says, He makes the whole body, the church, fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Don't let me un- underemphasize that. As each part does its own special work, what we're called or invited to, it helps the other parts grow. In other words, I would say, and, and, and it goes on to say, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let me say this. If, if the church is not growing in all the parts it's supposed to, then there's probably people picking up parts that they shouldn't. But they don't know what else to do because it, in, order to, in America, this is what church looks like in America because somebody's got to do it, right? By the way, Jesus, we, as we heard yesterday in the Empowered, I don't remember which uh, pastor was talking, which person was talking about it, but he said, Jesus, you know, gave, he delegated to his disciples, but he didn't tell them how. I'm not sure there is a how book on how to do church necessarily. There are some foundational parts of it, but I'm not sure about the how always. But I will say this. I can't grow fully into who I'm supposed to be. Others can't grow fully into who they're supposed to be unless other people step in and become who they're supposed to be. But here's the awesome part about this. Back to 1 Corinthians 14, 13. 14, 14. He said, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. Now you're a part of something that's transformational. And now you're a part of something that you never, ever imagined. I mean, it's kind of like getting married. I mean, and and Scripture does, obviously, brings out the bride, talks about the marriage, the groom and the bride. But when a when a man and woman come together for marriage, it doesn't make either one of them less significant. Right? It makes them greater together. 
That's what's happening in the body. When people come and become everything and giving themselves away. You don't lose significance, you become greater. Because you're a part of something greater and something more impactful, for one thing. So rather than we sit around and criticize, we should be helping. We should be helping people find that gift mix, find that spot. Instead of sitting around criticizing other churches because they do it a different way, we should be exuberantly clapping as long as Christ is lifted up and the Holy Spirit's moving. The one thing we've got to do, and I've read last week, the unity is to focus on the fact that we are part of the same body. One body, one spirit. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You'll get to read that in a few, well, this week, maybe you already prepared. I don't know how, no, maybe not quite yet. But in John chapter 3, Jesus has that conversation with Nicodemus. And again, I won't take the time to, to, to contextualize that, but you can do that on your own. But he says to Nicodemus, talking about the spirit, in verse 8, he said, the wind blows where it pleases. He's talking about the spirit. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In literature, the emblem for wind is that emblem of liberty. And what's so awesome is we may tell its direction, whether it's north, south, east, or west, we can get all that. And we invest invest instruments to measure its force, measure its miles per hour. I lived in Arkansas And you may be able to see it coming, but you can't stop it. Living in Tornado Alley. And I've seen them. I've seen one up close. Hawaii is experiencing that right now. And I hope you're praying for them. You can predict where it's going. You can say it, but you think you can't do anything about it. Because the wind blows where it blows. So it is with the Spirit. question begins to come when it begins to blow on you are you going to allow it to go where it wants to go see only the spirit can penetrate the heart and bring persons face to face with the truth about themselves i can talk to you all day long about maybe if you said kurt just critique me just tell me what you think i could maybe do that and maybe some of you could be all day long i don't know But no, I'm just saying, but unless the Holy Spirit does it, unless he brings that conviction and he brings that power, all it is is me babbling. Only really can the Holy Spirit bring you, if if you're far away from Christ, only he can bring you to salvation. I can preach hard. I can even live the way that I should live, hopefully in front of you. But at the end of the day, only the Spirit can bring you there. Oswald Chambers says, conviction of sin is one of the rarest things that ever strikes a man. It is the threshold of an understanding of God. Jesus Christ said that when the Holy Spirit came, he would convict of sin. And when the Holy Spirit rouses the conscience and brings him into the presence of God, it is not his relationship with man that bothers him, but his relationship with God. What men and women everywhere need is the ever-present Christ. One who speaks into the minds of men and women now, every day, 
everywhere. We need a presence. And that was the coming of the Spirit. It was the pledge of Jesus' presence within the souls of men. Jesus says in John 14, 16 through 18, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will, and will be where? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is welcomed, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. Because the presence of the Lord begins to remove all fear and all shame. Some of you need to hear that today. Slavery. Consider the scripture where it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from undue burdens. Freedom from shame. See, the body's, this body's vibrancy, if that's the right way to say it, is the direct result of the Holy Spirit working in its members. I know sometimes they go, I don't want to be a member of anything. You're already a member if you're a Christian because you're a member of the body. You may not want to be a member of renovation, but if you're a Christian, you are a member, as the Scripture points this out. You are a member. And what makes this church... Be everything God's called to be when it's members. When it's members. It won't be just the fact that we, as a church, get enough music or get enough fired upness, if you will, whatever you want to call it, on Sunday mornings for you to make it through another week. It's when you are walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit does this place become different. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit won't move if you don't. All I'm saying is if it's going to be that light in a dark world, it will be because its members are walking there. Please hear this. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that is that stamp of authenticity of the body. And I believe this. That is what makes the gathering of believers unique from all other gatherings. Things happen here that cannot happen anywhere else. Cannot. There is no Holy Spirit present in a group. It becomes nothing more than a social movement. And sometimes a bad one at that. There can only be one authentic gathering of the body. And that is when it is brought together under the headship of Jesus, infused by the presence of the Spirit. Anything else is counterfeit. Have you ever seen the wind? No, but you've seen the effects of the wind. To a glorious hope.
Dallas Willard says, I don't have the quote up there, it is the anticipation of the unseen good not yet here. Hope. The anticipation of the unseen good by faith that's not yet here. See, hope, what I think, what I love about hope is it not only allows me to look at my life with some hope, and when there's power, when there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. And so, so when I begin to look with hope, but I also can look at hope with your life. I can look at other people's lives with this great anticipation, with this great hope that I have. Not only has God changed my life, that he could change anybody's life that I interface with. I believe hope is critical in the acceleration of your faith, the acceleration of your life. It's more than just wishful thinking. But it's the confidence of the unseen good not yet here. Let me ask you a question. Do you know of anybody today that needs hope? Do you know of anybody that needs hope? A hope that is grounded in Christ. I believe our gift to the world is hope that the scripture calls out is the light of the world. The local church, we believe, was said earlier, is the hope of the world. The body, strategically planted, as God would see fit. Jesus says in John 1, 4, 5, or, or, or John writes in John 1, 4, 5, in him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think of these words. The darkness has not, will not, cannot extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness. Paul writes, and we'll talk about it when we get to chapter 5, if we ever do, okay? For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul, and what I love about this, Paul says that not only were we in darkness, but we were darkness. Swallow that pill. <laughs> you were not just being surrounded by darkness. You were part of the problem. That's shouting. That's got to be shouting material in the church, right? <laughs> but now that we've accepted Christ and we walk in the Spirit, we are not just in the light. We are the light. Before, we weren't just in darkness. We were darkness. Now, we're not just in light, we are light. Messengers of hope. Yesterday, we had about 50 of us attending the, uh, our first empowered, uh, it's our first annual. I don't know if that you can say that, but it's your first annual. But anyway, uh, but our first one, it was great. 
And one thing that comes up many times when you're talking about leadership and talking about moving forward is this concept of fear. It's not just a concept, it's a reality, right? For many people, there's this reality of fear that grips us. Some of you get up every day and the only lens you may look through is fear. But I love what Irving McManus says. He says, what you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. If you're afraid of heights, you stay low. And you can go down the list. If you're in fear, you'll have a hard time ever bringing hope. And hope to a world that so desperately needs it. I love what Andy Stanley says in his book, The Next Generation Leader. He said, it is your response to the dark that determines in large part whether or not you will be called on to lead. We're all leaders. Called, invited. We've said that over and over. For the darkness is what keeps the average person from stepping outside the security of what has always been. The leader who refuses to move until the fear is gone will never move. I love one of the statements I heard yesterday, and it's a sad commentary of how we conform. If no one move, if, if, if everyone's not going to move to whatever it is to change, then no one, because we're comfortable there. Casualness. Casualness is the fact that we've got 450 seats in here empty. I mean, that's not a guilt trip. That's not what I'm saying, there's, but there's an urgency to this. There's an urgency to it. I got good news for you about the church, though. The church has had many opportunities over history to be destroyed, but darkness could not overcome it. It will not now. The question's going to be, who steps in to be a part of the body that's going to be a part of that church that cannot be overcome? That's the question. Where the Spirit is moving and then there's no question. That's what we're talking about. The body. Oh yeah, it's a place for you to come and visit and check out and see, is all this stuff true? Alpha would be a great place for you to check out even further into that. But at the end of the day, our purpose here, Jesus says he came to to seek and save the lost. That's who he came after. And the good news is about the Spirit and the hope that we have. Is that the Spirit that Peter and them got and the Apostle Paul got was not another kind of Spirit. It's the same. Sometimes we just think that was then, but this is now. But the power of the Spirit that had 3,000 on the first day, 3,000, I think it was just men, 3,000 come to Christ that first day, that same Spirit. That same Spirit that in Acts chapter 3 where, where Peter has a man at the gate and he says, and he grabs his hand, the man had not walked since childhood. The man had not, the Scripture says, but somebody had been carrying him there that day. But on that day, 
That one day, that beggar asked for gold, for alms. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior, my Lord, walk. That same power, the same power to transform an apostle who was not an apostle at the time on the road to Damascus, the same power that knocks him off his high horse, which needs to happen to some of us, to transform and remove the scales on a street called straight. To remove those scales and all of a sudden he says, we read it in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. He says, I once was a blasphemer, murderer, or a violent man. But you poured out your grace. That same spirit. Who have you given up on? Who have you discarded? Well, you would have discarded the Apostle Paul. You probably would have discarded most of the disciples. Who is in your discard pile right now? Who is in your Gehenna? Who is in the dump ground right now? Is it a group of people or is it just individuals? The good, if the gospel is good news for you, it is good news for everybody. Again, this hope is grounded in Christ. Please hear what I'm saying. I get it. Because it can be an unfounded hope. I get that. You may be hoping to win the lottery and you're going, oh, okay, that's probably not a good hope, but I'm going to try. I hope. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. It's not a blind hope that pretends everything is fine and refuses to acknowledge how things really are. The kind of hope that comes from staring messiness and pain and suffering right in the eyes and refusing to believe that this is all there is. This is it, God? This is all there is? I remember talking to Daryl Scott many years ago. Rachel Scott was one of the ones killed at Columbine many, many years ago. You've heard of Rachel's story. I had a chance to talk to Daryl Scott and he said he sat down with an old man after her, after her being murdered at Columbine and he told, he, he told Daryl, and it stuck with me all these years, he said, Daryl, you cannot be a, you, you can't. He said, you've got to become a see-through or not a look-atter. And I don't mean ATR. In other words, you can't just continue to stare at it because it will paralyze you. You've got to begin to see through it and begin to walk and to begin to lean into it, as McManus would say. Begin to lean into your fears. Begin to lean into those things that have been keeping you back. Age doesn't keep you back. Health doesn't keep you back. Lean into it. Money doesn't keep you back. Lean into it. One body, one spirit, one hope. That we eventually finally get to this point going, I believe this is so, so much good news, I cannot and I will not keep it to myself. 
I can't keep it to myself anymore. I am compelled to live this out. If you believe it's great news, if you knew a new food or a new restaurant or a new medicine, I'll guarantee you'd be telling people. You'd be finding ways to work it into the conversation. It'd blow up everything we were taught yesterday, I realize, but or in one of our sessions. I think every day we've got to get up and go on a mission trip. I know how excited we get when we go to Brother Paul's, or I've, done, I've been around the world, or we, we've been to Brother Paul so many times in, in North Little Rock, and many of you know Brother Paul and, and uh, Nazarene Church there. But I got his newsletter this week, and it just struck me, or maybe two weeks ago, I'm not sure which. But many of you know they do a soup kitchen there. They, have fed, they will have fed over 16,000 this summer there, which is staggering in a little church like that, and how they've impacted. And we've, I've said, heard this saying years ago, that if your church was going tomorrow, would your community weep? And the answer to most churches in America would be no. Let's get the land, let's build some houses. That's probably what you would hear. If Friendly Chapel went away, not only would that neighborhood weep, there'd be a city that would weep. But I got this this week, as many of you know, as only Brother Paul can talk. I can't tell the stories as good as he can, but he has a story that comes through every day, so it's kind of cheating the way he tells stories. But he gets a new one every day, it seems like. But he said this, I want to read and we'll close. And Josiah and Young, come on down whenever you're ready. He said, tears are not uncommon in the soup kitchen. As one of our soup kitchen clients put it, it's the Lord's soup kitchen. He said, we fed 375 thankful folks yesterday. One of them showed their appreciation in a way that brought tears and prayers. It was an overt action we have never seen in 20 years of getting to be a part of something pretty special. A little girl about four years old, not much taller than the serving table, went on a mission trip. She laid down her sack lunch in cold water, walked around the table and grabbed 16 age volunteers from North Little Rock First Methodist around the legs and hugged them real tight. Then she gave me and Rob... That's there, his assistant there, one also. Then the mission trip was over. <laughs> she picked up her lunch and went back with her siblings to the car. I went and told her mom that what she had done and that had never happened before in 20 years. Mom teared up too and said, she is like that. Then we prayed, this is only Brother Paul, then we prayed that she would live her life and 70, 80 years from now, the folks who know her best would still be saying, she is like that. I just want to be known. or I want to be on a mission trip every day. And God, just show me. And along the way, somewhere when they write the whole thing, because I don't know, honestly, and I'm not trying to be perfect, I don't know if today is my last sermon. I want it to be my best if it's my last. <laughs> I want to know the last day I'm on earth that I was on a mission trip. I wouldn't schedule it out nine months from now or whatever today. And when it's all said and done, wouldn't it be nice for people to say, she was like that. He was like that. Empty seats are a big deal. We believe that. Or I believe that. Because they represent people. But it's only by the power of the Spirit will they be changed. They may come for other reasons, but they only be transformed for one reason, and it is the power of the Spirit.
that's it. Would you stand? I would just say, it would be awesome this week if you got up every day and the first thing that crossed, crossed your mind is, today I'm on a mission trip. And I just have a feeling you need to be prepared to be amazed. Just prepare to be amazed. We're going to close with a song. We're out of here. And uh, again, thank you for working with us. We don't know when the rope, how long the ropes will stay. Maybe until we are able to fill them up. We'll see. But thank you again for working with us on that and understanding what we're trying to do here. So, so let's, dream, let's sing multiplied. Let's go out on a high note here. You don't mind. Sing as high as I can. Yeah.